we are looking at the advent of joy. And Megan, do you want to come on up? She's going to light our candles this morning. I had, was going to have Allison come, but she went out with Children's Church. So the candles we, we looked at, we did two of them already. The two purple candles that we did were, the first one was hope. And um, the hope, the expectation of the coming Christ. Also, it's called the prophet's candle. The second one was the Bethlehem candle, or uh, peace. We looked at peace and where the Prince of Peace was born. And then today is actually the pink candle, and that's the one that refers to joy. Thank you, Megan. Joy is the one that is a different color. The other three are meant to cause us to contemplate. And the pink candle, joy, is is to remind us of a celebration. Christmas is a time of celebration, and so that's what um, hopefully we can look at today. What does joy look like in the life of a Christian, in the life of a believer? So maybe my thesis, if you will, would be Christians should be able to live with joy in spite of our circumstances because of Jesus. Now, it's not easy, but I think that is, I think that's possible. And I want to look at several scriptures. I'm going to look at three different scriptures today. But let me start with asking you the question, what is joy? What is joy? Well, Webster's would define joy as an emotion that is evoked by well-being or success. It's good fortune, something that's gone well. Um... A state of happiness, a source or a cause of delight. That's how Webster's defines joy. So Christmas is obviously a joyful time of the year. It's time of celebration. There's music, there's banquets, there's parties, there's you name it. And every introvert probably dreads a piece of it. But there's so many activities, there's so many things that are happening with Families getting together, celebrating, there's exchanging of gifts, um, there's Christmas caroling, and on and on. There's all these things that are surrounding Christmas that are um, a means of celebration, and it's good, and it should be that. But I also want to recognize this morning that there are, for some people, the holidays and Christmas, and Marvin mentioned it briefly, can be a really, really difficult time. Um, I'm thinking especially of, of families who have lost someone, a loved one, and going into the first Christmas, maybe without a spouse, without a parent, without a brother, without a sister. And, and all, those, all those feelings, those waves of emotion that come with that. So it can be a difficult time of the year as well for many people, for, and for various reasons. It, it's not just one reason or another. But in the midst of the bustle of the season, or whether it's the grief of missing a loved one, I believe that there is still a joy that we can have that settles deep in our hearts. A joy that goes much deeper than the parties, the family gatherings, the joy that's centered around Christmas is centered, or the joy of Christmas is centered around the good news of great joy. That's a very familiar familiar phrase that comes straight out of scripture that Jesus came into the world as a tiny baby over 2,000 years ago. True joy of Christmas can be found 
when Jesus is at the center of celebration. And it is so easy. We probably talk about it every year. We do it, I don't know, we do it at home. With all the activity, let's be careful that we don't miss Jesus in the middle of it. Because if we miss Jesus in it, then we miss the reason why we can have joy. So is joy more than what I described earlier, what Webster's describes it? Is it more than, as for a believer, than the emotion that is evoked by well-being? Is it more than that? I believe it is that, but is it more than that? This morning I want to define biblical definition, or the definition for a Christian, for a believer, is a delightful confidence that comes from the choice to trust God, to trust that God will fulfill His promises. Let me read it again. A delightful confidence that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill His promises. So joy is often a choice. It is a feeling, it is an emotion, but it is much more, it's much deeper than that. And so this morning I want to look at, at three passages of Scripture um, and then uh, that maybe give us a definition or that back up or fill that definition of what joy is and then finish it with just three observations of joy in our lives. If you want to follow along, you're welcome to. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 2. We know the Christmas story well, but if you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, I'm going to be reading it out of the CSB here this morning. I heard one of the Sunday school teachers read it quite this passage quite emphatically this morning. Eddie, you didn't know I was sitting in the youth group. I won't make you come up and read it, <laughs> though I should. I was sitting over in the youth group in the youth room, and I heard Edda and her class read this. And it sounded so cool. It sounded awesome. And it caught my attention because I knew that was where I wanted to go this morning. Um, But Luke 2, I want to read verses 8 to 20. And then we'll, just a couple of comments. And then we're going to move on into two passages from Isaiah. (coughs) In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David a Savior was born to you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them they returned and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that was told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God 
for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. What is the good news that the angels proclaimed? Why is it good news? And why is there such joy in the announcement? Why, is there, why does he call it good news of great joy? <clears throat> I thought about it. It would be really cool to take about five minutes and have every person here write down in your own words your definition, in your own words, the definition of the gospel. Someone asked, asked you, because that's what good news, good news means the gospel. And the, the gospel is the story of God being at work in, in his creation from Genesis to Revelation. How would you put that in, in one paragraph? How would you describe the gospel? Because that's the good news that Jesus came into the world to redeem, to redeem people and to set things at right again. But it's the story of the Bible from the beginning, from the end. We often think of, um, of salvation as something that is a New Testament thing. But as you read through the Old Testament, and specifically Isaiah, because Isaiah refers, or the, the Gospels actually refer back to Isaiah over and over and over and over again. And Isaiah does such a beautiful job of, of showing God's salvation. And it's all part of God's story. And so the coming of Christ, this good news of great joy, the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, was the center of what all of this Old Testament scripture, all the pieces that Isaiah was writing, what all of that was pointing to and leading to. <clears throat> So how would you describe the gospel? Think about that. And I, I'd encourage you <clears throat> to do that at some point. I had to do that in a class that I was in once. We had to just, in our own words, write down, de describe the gospel in your own words. If someone asks you, what is the gospel, an unbeliever, what would you tell them? Because that indeed is the good news. That is the good news in our lives. Now, so let's jump. We're going to come back to, um, to this part, to Luke 2, later on then. But jump, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 12. Because Isaiah talks about the salvation. And, and all of this is, is pointing us to what, what is joy? Where do, we define, where do we get joy? Where does it come from? And all of this points us to... Um, is, is to point us to defining what joy is. Isaiah chapter 12, it's a short chapter. We have two short chapters. I'm, I'm just going to take the time to read it because there's so much beauty in it. And then just a couple comments before we move on. Isaiah 12, On that day you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. I, you will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation, and on that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his name. Make his works known among the peoples. Declare that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and sing, citizens of Zion, 
for the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness. The joy of salvation, God's joy, or God's salvation brings joy. I read one, I was Ray Fowler, he said it this way, there is no true joy without salvation, and there is no true salvation without joy. That is why joy is something that is more than just a mere feeling of emotion. It's something that goes way deeper because it is so intricately and so tightly connected with salvation. And that is part of that good news of the gospel. The two go hand in hand, the salvation and joy. It's more than this fleeting euphoria, but a deep, settled joy that goes beyond circumstances And it is something that we draw from continually. Joy isn't something that suddenly you attain, you get there, oh, no, no, now you've got it. It's something that you draw. He he likens it here, the salvation. um, He will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. It's a picture of an unending supply. So now go to Isaiah 35. So the context here in Isaiah 35, this is such a beautiful portion. The context is that Israel is returning from exile. God, well, it hasn't happened yet. Isaiah is talking about when it does happen. They're going to be exiled, but then there's going to be this time when the exiles are going to return. They're going to come back home. It's a literal image, imagery for the people in Isaiah's time. And it's figurative at the same time because it's also pointing forward to something much deeper than just coming back to the homeland. But I also want us to think about it today as I read this, as this is a picture of our hearts that is returning home to an unfettered relationship with our Heavenly Father that's made possible by the coming of Jesus at Christmas. Isaiah 35 The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a wild flower. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. The water will gush into the wilderness and streams into the desert. The parched ground will become a pool and the thirsty land springs. In the haunt of jackals and in their lairs there will be grass and reeds and papyrus. The road will be there, and and a way it will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, for it will be the one, for it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. There will be no lion there, <coughs> and no vicious beast will go up on it. They they will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk on it, and the redeemed of the Lord will return, and come to Zion with singing. Crowned with unending joy, and joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. Sometimes I think one of the greatest mistakes that we make when we talk about joy is that 
um, we should, it's something that we should feel all the time. So let me ask you this. As you, as you, as you read through there, he talks about going from being barren to bursting with life, going from being weak to being strong, going from being parched to being quenched, and then being overcome with joy. So is joy the absence of sadness? If you have joy, does it mean that you can never be sad? Is joy the presence of a smile? Always just this, this nice smile on your face, right? Is that, is that what joy is? We all have seasons in our life when we feel like we are the barren, we're weak, and we're parched. Can you feel joy when you're feeling barren, weak, and parched? When you don't have the strength to go on? You feel dry, dry as a bone. We've not seen a lot of severe droughts here in, this, in our area. How many of you remember the drought of 88? Most of you are too young to remember that. Thank you. There are a few. I remember the drought of 88 well because as I was a young boy on the farm, I remember going out in our fields and every field was cracked, had big cracks all through it because the ground was so dry and, and just pulled together. It was, it's that picture of being totally parched. Sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we feel that way. And I don't, I don't think... Joy means that you should never feel that way because that's a part of life. But joy is something that sustains us in the midst of being parched. Think of the definition of what biblical, what, what I said, that our working definition, let's just call it that, of joy is. It's the delightful confidence that comes from the choice to trust God to fulfill his promises. It doesn't mean that it's always all great, it's always all good. But it's this choice to trust God that he will keep his promises. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. If you read the, the verses there where it talks about the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears and the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Almost word for word what Jesus told John's disciples when they came to him, I think it was in Luke 7, they came to him and John was wondering, sent them to talk to Jesus and say, are you really the one? And he said, this is what's happening. This is what Jesus came to do in, in the life of every person who will accept his love and his, his, his sacrifice and his salvation. So it is something that is much deeper than euphoria. It doesn't mean you're always smiling. It doesn't mean you're always happy and cheerful. But it is a joy that is a choice that transcends all of that. It is not found in what one can accomplish, but in the deliverance and the goodness of God. <clears throat> so now let me close with three observations of joy. And I want to draw, most of these come from the, the story, the account in Luke 2 with the shepherds. So this kind of joy... That is a delightful confidence that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. In Luke 2, we read the story, we read the account of the shepherds, the angels coming to the shepherds. So my first observation 
from the, the shepherds is this, that joy cannot be borrowed. You can't borrow someone else's joy. You can't try to sponge off of their joy and make it your own. It is true that we become like the people that we, that we surround ourselves with. It has, it has a huge impact on, on our lives. If you surround yourself with people who are always negative, you're probably going to become a pretty negative person, or it's at least going to drag you down. If you surround yourself with people who are joyful, it's going to have an impact on you. But true joy, that internal joy, you can't borrow from someone else. You can't take it from someone else. I, was, I thought about this when I, when I as the, as the, in the story, this account of the shepherds, when the angels came and they made this proclamation to the shepherds, and all of a sudden, so the, the one angel came, and then all of a sudden this great host of angels, I'm sure the, the ter- they were terrified. And then when they left, and all of a sudden it was quiet. I bet their hearts were just up pounding. The adrenaline was rushing through them. The, I mean, it was just, the, the adrenaline had to be rushing through them. But they couldn't live just off the high of that mo- moment. The joy of the angels' announcements meant nothing to them if all they did was say, okay, and now went on with their lives. So they couldn't simply sponge off of the joy of the angels' announcement. They had to go something deeper. They had to become something that was their own. They had to realize it and need it for themselves. So, So joy is something that you can't borrow or sponge off of someone else. Second observation is that joy comes in encountering Jesus. It says that when the angels left, the shepherds hurried off. They found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And then at the very end, verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The difference in the biblical definition of joy is the source of the joy. Webster's defines the feeling of joy. Scripture defines joy as something much deeper, and it's always, always dependent on the source. So worldly possessions, your accomplishments, even the peoples in your lives, the blessings that make us feel happy and feel joyful are all good, However, the source of all joy, true joy, is Jesus. That's the only true source of joy. God's plan from the beginning was the word made flesh to dwell among us is rock solid, allowing us to navigate difficult situations in the absence of happiness while sustaining our joy. There was a a minister from the late 1800s, Philip Brooks was his name, who wrote this about the source of joy, who he was. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He worked in, as, in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He never went to college. He never traveled 250 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. 
He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. When he died, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. That's the good news of great joy. Then he goes on and he says this, 19 centuries late have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and a leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on earth as that one solitary life. Joy is found in encountering Jesus, that one solitary life. Third observation is joy cannot be contained. So I, I wanted to say joy is contagious, but joy is something, not something that you can give to someone else, but it's not something that you can keep within yourself either. It's not something, true joy is not something that is going to enter your life and your heart and you're going to walk away that encountering with Jesus. You can't walk away from that and not be changed and you can't walk away from that without sharing that joy with the people around you. The shepherds did this so well. The very first evangelists, the most unlikely evangelists the world has ever seen, I'm sure, are the shepherds out on the hillside And when they saw it, when they saw they had gone and they had encountered Jesus, they saw the baby in the manger, they made known the saying that was told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Followers of Jesus who have truly encountered him cannot keep the good news and the joy to themselves. So the question to us is, how are you going to spread his joy this season, this Christmas season? All the hustle and bustle. How are you going to spread the good news of Jesus to the people that you encounter? I came across this from A.W. Tozer. I believe in the joyfulness of the children of God. And if you research Tozer's life a little bit, this will make a lot of sense. He was a person who struggled with, I believe, depression and anxiety. But he says this, I believe in the joyfulness of the children of God. I am not exactly what might be called by nature an optimistic man, not particularly cheerful, but the joy of the Lord is still the strength of his people. I believe the sad world around us is attracted to spiritual sunshine. The joy of the Lord radiating in the hearts of his people is spiritual sunshine, and it will attract people to our Savior. Joy in the life of a believer is not in what is felt, but is found in a deep trust in the one who is the true source of joy. Rick Warren said, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. See, that's not dependent on circumstances. And determined to choose praise. And I'm sorry, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. 
Stand with me for prayer. True joy in the life of a Christian is first deeply personal,